since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness is at home. These words are from 2 Peter 3. It's a common Google search response to the question, How then shall we live? Hi, my name is Dan Dick, and welcome to Church Matters. We live in a time of deep partisanship and division, clashing cultures of all kinds and fractured relationships. There is the real danger of chaos at the end of this road. Marcus Rempel, in his upcoming book, Life at the End of Us Versus Them, offers a stark warning and extends a helping hand to those grasping for a way out. Marcus is a self-described dirt farmer and a voracious reader of theology and philosophy. He's a cultural sleuth with deep investigative interests in contemporary anthropology. Through the lens of Christian faith, he unearths the ethical, spiritual, and practical mechanics of peaceful living in community with people of diverse faith and cultural backgrounds. Life at the End of Us versus Them is a timely book that draws on his life experience and reflects on the question, how then shall we live? Welcome to Church Matters, Marcus. Thanks, Dan. In just a few words, what's the main thesis of your book? We live in a time when no community that has a clear distinction between outsiders and insiders can remain intact, whether that's churches whether that's nations, whether that's families. And what I've learned is that it's really Jesus that got us into this mess, and it's Jesus who can get us out. Marcus, who is this book for? In a sense, I wrote this book for one person, which is my brother Daniel. Growing up, we were very, very close, and faith did not make sense to Daniel. Daniel's a very bright guy, a very high level of what I would call intellectual honesty. And if it doesn't make sense to him, then out with it. He ended up leaving the church, and that was painful for him and it was painful for me. And in a sense, the emotional core of the book is really all the conversations that I wish I could have with him, but that we can't, because they're too triggering for each other. We've wrestled with many of the same excellent questions but we've come out in different places. You said Jesus got us into this mess and Jesus will get us out. What mess did Jesus get us into? So an alternate title of the book was Scapegoats and Samaritans. And I left that to the side because I didn't want to alienate people with those immediate biblical references. But to start with Jesus' story of the, the Good Samaritan, that story is really a story about there's this lawyer that asks the question, who is my neighbor? The lawyer thinks he's asking a question about who do I have obligations toward? And instead, Jesus tells him a story about who is going to save you. Because, of course, the, the man in the ditch, beaten and wounded, is a Jew, like the lawyer asking the question. And the one who ultimately becomes a friend and a savior is the one whom the Jew considers a heretic, a blasphemer, an outsider, someone who is contaminated, someone whose you know, contact is, is threatening and polluting. And that's the one who saves the Jew. That's an amazing story. 
because Jesus himself becomes that person for the community. Back to the, the image of the scapegoat. We've never really known how to be an us that wasn't somehow over against a them. And the way I have come to read the story of Jesus' crucifixion is really Jesus coming to our community and saying, if you need somebody to be that guy, I'll be that guy. You want to reject someone? You want to make somebody bad so you can be good? You want to make somebody your enemy so you can be friends? I'll be that guy. And not be destroyed by it. And now we can maybe learn a new game. You draw heavily on a pair of Christian philosopher historians named Ivan Illich and René Girard. Do your readers have to know their work to appreciate your book? No. A big reason why I wrote the book is that I feel like I'm just smart enough to read these guys and get the, the essence of what they're on about. But they're not easy to read. Uh, and not fun to read unless you're really kind of a the theology, anthropology nerd. But they had this, this, this stuff that speaks right into the essence of the gospel for me as a believer that I wanted to be able to make accessible to other people. It's been said that Christians should read scripture with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. What should be in the other hand of those reading your book? I would hope that this book becomes a doorway where the reader can take the Bible back in the other hand. In some ways, I'm writing this book for people who've put the Bible away because Illich and Gerard really gave me a way to put the Bible back in my hands in a way that was life-giving. And there are lots of good reasons why people have put the Bible away. There's stuff in there that is very dangerous. It's so dangerous that it was used to crucify Jesus. The people who crucified Jesus all had the Bible in their hands. He's a blasphemer, they said. And then Jesus miraculously turns that around. I needed help to see how Jesus turned that around. And that really let me take the Bible back in my hand in a way that it wasn't a hand grenade anymore and was an opening to truth and healing. Gerard especially uh, just gave me a love for the Bible that in some ways I had lost. One of, one of Gerard's disciples, a theologian named James Allison, uh, writes a chapter in one of his books called Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Book? Because that's really the place that a lot of us have arrived uh, as moderns in our relationship to the Bible. I've really been helped to arrive maybe at a, at a similar place to those disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus walks with them and visits with them. And as the scripture says, reveals the meaning of scripture as they had carried it for all that time as coming to its fulfillment at the cross. Something that the community had understood in a certain way for a long, long time becomes revealed in a very new and fresh way when Jesus becomes the scapegoat, when we have to start reading back into the Old Testament. For example, some of those really troublesome, violent passages that critics of Christianity rightly put before us and say, how can you believe in this God who says, 
wipe out these other people, put them all to the edge of the sword. When you read a story like that, who in the story looks like Jesus? Who's getting crucified in the name of religion, in the name of protecting the purity of the community? Ah, that story makes an about face after the revelation of Jesus and becomes not, not a scandal anymore of, of barbarism, but for me, a marker of, wow, Jesus took us from there and took that whole story and brought it to this place of telling that story about the Samaritan where, where my enemy becomes the one who saves me. And God is revealed as the one with whom I was living as an enemy. And while we were yet enemies, as Paul says, God saves me. There is an unrelenting connection between love and ethics in your book. Must one come before the other? Jesus' cross reveals Jesus' love for us, for the whole community. In its moment of betrayal, the, the disciples have suspended all their ethics, have forgotten everything that they learned in the years that Jesus was traveling with them at the moment when he is crucified and they all, right down to Peter, betray him. And Jesus' love is that resurrection life, is that force out from which radiates the redemption, the new life of that community. Back to me and my brother or other conversations that just seem to be going nowhere and nowhere and nowhere. If we feel like we have to get the rules right before we can love each other, we're never going to get there. How do you think your brother Daniel will receive this book? My, my brother and I, we used to have sword fights as boys. And I often was the one who would say, hey, let's have a sword fight. And, uh, and then we'd get sticks out and bang away at each other. And I was, of course, two years older and a little bit bigger. And, and inevitably, I would uh, end up bashing him on the knuckles. Uh, and after a while, he decided he didn't want to do that game with me anymore. The book feels similar to me in that that way of engaging as boys, I mean, it came out of a, a love for my brother. I wanted to play with him. I, I have to confess that I can't separate out my desire to, like, dominate him, win the fight, uh, put him in his place. Uh, is is hiding in all those essays uh, that are uh, dismantling piece by piece the kind of perfectly uh, empirically based, rationality based skepticism that wants to wipe religion off of the map. Uh, I mean, that's in the back of my head as I'm writing and. I'm both wanting to give this gift of love and I'm wanting to win the argument. That's almost preemptive speculation against him reading it. Well, we've had some conversations. I, I, he's read a little bit and uh, it, it was triggering. I mean, it's, it's, 
it's a sensitive dynamic between us that is not finished. When will Life at the End of Us versus Them be available to readers? So I just signed my contract with Friesen Press. Uh, on average, it takes them about five months, they tell me. Um, my life is going to start getting busy soon with farming. I'm planning to be ready to hit the ground running in the fall in terms of book launches and, and speaking uh, in church basements, etc. I'd love to, if you have folks that would like to invite me, I'd, I'd love to sit with people and, and talk about some of these things. If people want to pre-order, they can go to kickstarter.com uh, and look up either Marcus Peter Rempel or Life at the End of Us versus Them, uh, and, uh, and they can pre-order the book there and, and support the launch. And I know that my colleague Arlen Friesen Epp hopes to have the book at the Common Word Bookstore and Resource Center as well, so folks could also get it there. Yeah, indeed. And I think we're going to do a book launch there too. Thanks so much for joining me today, Marcus. Best wishes on your publishing adventure. Thanks, Dan. That concludes my interview with Marcus Rempel, author of Life at the End of Us versus Them. We couldn't fit all of what we wanted to cover into this broadcast time slot, but you can listen to a full-length version of the interview on our podcast version. Go to MennoniteChurch.ca and click on the Church Matters link under the Quick link section on the lower right of your screen. You're invited to join me again in just four weeks for another episode of Church Matters. We're here for you at 8.45 a.m. on the third Sunday of every month. We love to hear from our listeners, whether it's by email, phone, or snail mail. Tell us what's on your mind via churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca or mail us at 600 Shaftesbury Boulevard, Winnipeg, Manitoba, R3P0M4. We're happy to receive your phone calls and always appreciate your financial support. Call 1-866-888-6785 or visit mennonitechurch.ca and click on the donate link. I'm your host, Dan Dick. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.